Welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study, uh, Acts of the Apostles, Part 20. Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, we just thank you uh, for this week and this time and all the things that we're going through, all the things that are going on, Lord. We just ask that you cause things to settle down, Lord, and to uh, uh, right uh, things that are wrong, Lord. And so, Father, we just... Uh, come before you and ask that uh, you guide us into our study tonight and open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our heart to receive. Lord, we thank you for those that are here in person and those that are listening via podcast. Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that uh, you guide us, you are our teacher tonight. And in this we give you thanks, praise, and honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. 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 Right, up, by the way. Okay. And so... Um, <laughs> so, Acts 22, verse 30. Going to pick up where we were last week. Remember, Paul was, uh, the Jews were now trying to um, uh, kill him. And one of the Roman commanders came and kind of rescued him and took him off and, and, and uh, kind of separated him. And this is where we kind of pick this up. So Acts chapter 22, verse 30, it says, Since he wanted to find out what Paul was being accused of by the Jews, this is the commander who was interrogating him and and trying to figure out why the Jews were so upset with Paul. So it says, Since he wanted to find out what Paul was being accused of by the Jews, the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and entire council to meet. He brought Paul down and had him stand before them. Now, this is the Sanhedrin council. This is the ruling council of the Jews. This is the same council that Jesus was brought before. They did not weigh in on civic law. They weighed in on biblical law or or Judaism. In other words, was something being done according to the law or not being done according to the law? Thank you, Adrian. And um, Diego. Diego. And uh, so the Sanhedrin consisted of 71 elders. And they were, they were elders uh, from synagogue in the temple. They were teachers of the law or they were professors of the law. The law meaning biblical law, not, not, not uh, judicial law. I mean, uh, yeah, judicial law or civic law. Uh, when the commander couldn't force them to try Paul, but he could force them to interview him and find out, because what's going on here is this commander is just trying to find out why the Jews are so upset with Paul because he can't see what Paul's doing wrong. And so he's trying, he's trying, he's trying to figure this out. So now he has uh, Paul brought down uh, and, and to stand them before them. So now he wants... In other words, he wants the Sanhedrin, the Jews, to say what it is Paul has done wrong. So that's where we're at right now. So verse 23, 1 to 5. This is Paul before the council. While Paul was looking intently at the council, he said, Brothers, up to this day I have lived my life with a clear conscience before God. Then the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near him to strike him on the mouth. At this, Paul said to him, 
God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting there to judge me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law you order me to be struck? Those standing nearby said, Do you dare to insult God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not realize, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a leader of your people. Paul starts off here and he's defiant, you know, in his language. And from this point on, every time Paul tells his story or whoever he's before, he's got a little defiant tone in his in his in his voice. And so he says there that you're a whitewashed wall. You know, whitewash, uh, we don't know about it too much anymore, but back then, whitewash is basically, yeah, you would wash up put on a wall, not for color, but to 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 uh, cover up the cracks, cover up the holes, cover up what was wrong. And so he says, you're just a whitewashed wall. You're just covering up what's wrong. That's what he calls them that. So it's strong It's strong language. But, I mean, they, they hit him. And, and because he's saying he's got a clear conscience before God, and the high priest can't handle that. And so he, he says, hit this guy. You know? So this is kind of the uh, emotion and the theme that it's going on here. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, Paul's hated, but it, there's no real clear understanding yet of why he's so hated. And Paul is getting defiant. He's probably getting a little tired of, of, of these questions. So now verse 6. It says, When Paul noticed that some were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, he called out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. I am on trial concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Several things here. The difference between Sadducees and Pharisees. Sadducees did all the sacrifice, all the things that had to do with the temple. They were the priests and the, and the high priests. They were the Holy of Holies. They were the ones that made prayer for the people. The Pharisees were more of a private religious group who when they started about 300, 350 years before this, they were a group of men who had came back from exile and they basically wanted to get closer to God. They wanted to spend their time studying scripture. They wanted to spend their time doing the right thing. Okay? They were called uh, Pebushin, which means the pious ones. But by the time Jesus came on the scene, they were more of a political outfit than anything else. But, Paul's doing something here that's very interesting. Sadducees don't believe in resurrection, but Pharisees do. So notice what he says here. Paul noticed that some were Sadducees, some were Pharisees. He called out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee. So he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Pharisee. He's, he's acknowledging who he is as a Jew. I am a, I'm a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. I am on trial concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. What he's doing here is, Paul divides the two groups, but now he also calls Israel, in a sense, into its prophetic future through Christ's resurrection. 
So in other words, he just kind of plants this. This is part of the gospel. He just plants this right in the middle of this. He says, I'm on trial because I believe in the resurrection, teaching the resurrection uh, that Jesus is going to return, you know, Messiah. So this is just going to cause an upheaval. He's a, it's, a, it's a canny move on, on his part, but it's, it's going to cause a big upheaval because he's going to divide them. Now remember, these are the ones who were supposed to come together. Originally, they wanted to kill him, and now the commander wants this group to now come to some sort of agreement on what to do with Paul. And what does Paul do? He divides them. He just throws this right in the middle there, and now there's this big upheaval over all this. Thoughts, questions on that? Uh, 7 to 10. It says, when he said this, a dissension began between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly were divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, or angel or spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge all three. Then a great clamor arose, and certain scribes of the Pharisees group stood up and contended. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? Then the dissension became violent, the tribune fearing that they would tear Paul to pieces, ordered the soldiers to go down, take him by force, and bring him into the barracks. It, it got out of hand. It totally got out of hand. On one hand, the Pharisees, now as it says in Scripture, they also believe in angels and spirits as in messengers. As in, you know, that he maybe he got a vision. Maybe, you know, God spoke to him via a vision or something like that. Where Sadducees didn't believe that. So now you got this big clamor and in in Paul's in the middle of it, and the commander is worried uh, that they're going to tear Paul to shreds. Normally, you know, if he was just a regular Jew, they probably wouldn't be so worried about it. But like we were talking last week, Paul revealed to them he's a Roman citizen. So they had a, a responsibility to protect him as a Roman citizen. They couldn't just hand him over to the Jews. Yeah. Yeah, question. Uh Back then, did the citizens carry papers or something identifying them as citizens? Or They had a census, and uh, they, they would take the census, um, I think, like every four to six years, and their names were written in the towns that they came from. In a second, they're going to they're gonna ask Paul, uh, what, what province are you from? And he's going to identify himself by the province that he, he lives in. So they not necessarily papers carrying papers but if you needed to do something officially uh, you did carry papers but to answer your, your your question more directly no they didn't carry papers saying I'm I'm this or that it was again it was a different world and people were taken more at their word mm. for it and then there was also witnesses that could testify yes he is a Jew no he's not he's a Roman citizen he's whatever so they would they would figure it out that way, but Paul was well known, well known enough by everybody around that um, they didn't have to vouch for that. But good question, because some of the problems, and we, I think it was two weeks ago, we read about um, one of the guys that uh, uh, I remember it was last week. The commander was wondering if Paul was that Egyptian guy who tried to pass himself off as a Jew and was causing an insurrection 
you know, he, he thought maybe Paul was that guy. That's why people were so upset with him. And uh, so, uh, no, obviously he wasn't. But, yeah, sometimes people would come in and they would do that. And that's why they had these councils. The, the, the Jews would weigh on their stuff. Uh, Rome would weigh on, on their stuff. And, but you had certain privileges based on, on who you were. But as a Roman citizen, you had the most privileges. You couldn't be scourged without being convicted. So Jesus is not a Roman citizen. They scourge him. Uh, Paul, being a Roman citizen, could not be scourged without uh, being convicted. You know, he couldn't even be bound. And so that was in the last chapter. That, that was the problem. And that's why they're, they're kind of protecting Paul, trying to figure out what's going on, because if Paul dies at the hands of this group, and he's a Roman citizen, it could be bad for them. So, any other questions? Okay. Uh, so you kind of have a theological divide here between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, Pharisees believed in angels and spirits as messengers. Uh, and so Paul's rift was a clever tactic to cause chaos in the middle of it, although it kind of backfired a little bit in that the Roman guards now thought that he was going to be torn to shreds. So they had to come and get him to protect him. So while this is going on, verse 11, that night the Lord stood near him and said, keep up your courage, for just as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also in Rome. So now, Remember, the Pharisees believe in, in, in angels as messengers. They believe in the Spirit as a messenger. Next night, he gets a message from the Lord. By the way, this is the fourth time. There's four times that Paul gets messages from the Lord like this. The first one was Acts chapter 9, verse 4 to 6. That's when he was on the road to Jerusalem, to, to, to Damascus. Then another time, uh, God was directing him chapter 16 verse 9 and then another time he gets direction in chapter 18 verse 9 to 10 and then this verse here where he is uh, uh, God directs him personally so what this does it's an important vision that he gets um, because not only does it give him comfort and encouragement but it's confirmation for Paul because remember Paul had kept talking about I want to go to Rome I want to go to Rome he wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel. And so what's going to happen is the gospel gets to Rome via Paul. And Paul, and, and so the Lord's basically telling them, you're going to be going to Rome, you know, eventually in all of this. So, now verse 12 to 15. It says, in the morning the Jews joined in a conspiracy and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. These guys were pretty upset, right? There were more than 40 who joined in the conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the council must notify the tribune to bring him down to you, on the pretext that you want to make a more thorough examination of his case, and we are ready to do away with him before he, ar he arrives. 
What's wrong here? What's wrong with this picture? You have religious people plotting a murder. You know, I mean, it's all spelled out. You know, bring him down here, and we're going to get him. I mean, they—they—it's—it's it's one thing to plot an assassination; it's another to go to the chief priests and the elders and say, "We're plotting an assassination, and we want you to help." So here's this huge conspiracy, uh, which kind of rings kind of interesting in the light of what's going on. Anyway, so the Jews' hatred for Paul was so great that they conspired to kill in the name of God. Uh, but what really would have happened is that there was a huge Roman guard there now taking care of Paul, and they probably would have killed all 40 of these Jews before they would have had a chance to get to Paul, because they're protecting Paul. And uh, uh, But the point is here that there's a conspiracy going on. So now verse 16 to 22. Now the son of Paul's sister. Did you know Paul had a sister? No. We found out right now. Now the son of Paul's sister heard about the ambush. So he went and gained entrance to the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to report to him. So he took him, brought him to the tribune and said, The prisoner Paul called me. And asked me to bring this young man to you. By the way, young man there in Greek um, is translated from Greek. It's minakiskos. And what it means is a young man in the age of 20 to 30 years of old, not a teenager. So he's somewhere in his 20s or 30s. Uh, the prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you. He had something to tell you. The tribune took him by the hand, drew him aside privately, and asked, What is it that you have to report to me? He answered, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more thoroughly into his case. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for them. They have bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink until they have killed him. And they are ready now and are waiting for your consent. So the tribune, it's also another word. I'm, I'm reading from a different translation here. I didn't bring my regular Bible. But it's, it's the same word as commander. It's called tribune or commander. Okay, so the, the one who's protecting Paul. Uh, so now you have... Um, um, intervention in this nephew of, of Paul. Uh, so now what we find out is Paul had a sister and so he may have had relatives who were actually living in Jerusalem. So this is kind of how you find out the whole story. You know, there's no one one passage where you're going to find out the whole story. You, know, you, you read all the different passages and then you fit all this stuff together. So Paul has a sister and he has a nephew. Obviously, he's close to them. Uh, he was able to visit Paul, tell him what was going on. And so now there's this intervention going on on Paul's behalf. Verse 23 to 35. Then he summons two of the centurions. Remember, centurions are over 
a hundred military men each, and said, Get ready to leave by nine o'clock tonight for Caesarea with two hundred soldiers, seventy horsemen, and two hundred spearmen. This is all for Paul. <laughs> all he's got, they're going to sneak Paul out, and all of this is to sneak Paul out. Also, provide mounts for Paul to ride and take him safely to Felix, the governor. He wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency the Governor Felix, greetings. This is the letter he wrote. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. But when I had learned that he was a Roman citizen, I came with a guard and rescued him. Since I wanted to know the charge for which they accuse him, I had him brought to their council, which means the Sanhedrin Jewish council. I found that he was accused concerning questions of their law, meaning biblical law, but was charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him during the night to Antipatris. The next day they let the horsemen go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he belonged to. This is the answer when I was talking about Larry. Was Larry, Larry was asking about you know, credentials. He asked what province he belonged to, and he learned that he was from Cilicia. So, you know, he's, that there would be a record of him that he was from there, and if he needed to get it officially, he could send officials to go get the census and find out if this Paul is really who he says he is. Okay, Verse 35, and he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. Then he ordered that he be kept under guard in Herod's headquarters, which is the palace. He's not thrown in jail, he's in Herod's uh, headquarters because he's a Roman citizen. And he's got the letter from the commander saying, we can't find nothing wrong with him. These Jews are ticked off at him. But we brought him to you for safekeeping. And we also told his accusers to come before you. And so Governor Felix now is going to do this. Uh, uh, so the commander again helps Paul out uh, as a Roman citizen. But the commander's also watching out for himself because if something happens to him, he, he would... Uh, he would have to answer to that. So now we have Paul is now taken to Caesarea. He's now taken away from the Jewish Sanhedrin, but some of them are going to now come. And before Felix, the governor of the area, uh, they are going to uh, um, give Paul a hearing. Thoughts, questions? Okay. Chapter 24, verse 1. Remember, they're trying to get Paul on violation of biblical law, okay, or blasphemy against God, something like that. So chapter 24, verse 1. Five days later, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and an attorney, a certain Tutilius, and they reported their case against Paul to the governor. An attorney? 
What do they need an attorney for? They're the ones who, who, who know the law. You know, uh, uh, but basically what it is here is that the attorney in this Tutilius guy is, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's a Roman citizen. He's probably someone that can speak very eloquently. He's probably someone that they think will gain Felix's favor. So it's a strategic move on their part. Because they said, ah, Felix, he's, he's bound to Rome. He's whatever. He's, he's, he's not going to listen to us Jews. But if we bring somebody, a Roman citizen or someone, uh, uh, who can speak for us, maybe now we'll get, we'll get favor. So the so, attorney was Roman? Huh? The attorney was a Roman? Either he was Roman or he was Greek trained. He was Greek. His name is Greek. So uh, we don't know if he was a Roman citizen or not, but the, the point here is that he he, he could uh, he could converse with the, with with the Roman uh, uh, governor on that level. So there's a I'm trying to think of the uh, historian's name. It's not Josephus. It's another one mentions this guy. But I don't think he mentions too much about his background. He was a well-known uh, speaker, but I don't think it gives his 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 background if he actually was a Roman citizen. But a lot of Greeks were, because if they were born in Roman territory, uh, they could they, they they had dual they would have dual citizenship if they wanted, like Paul. So Acts twenty-four verse two. When Paul had been summoned, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, Your Excellency, now listen to the language, Your Excellency, because you have long enjoyed peace and reforms and have been made for this people because of your foresight. Is he kissing up to this guy? Of course he is. We welcome this in every way and everywhere with utmost gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you to hear us briefly with your customary graciousness. Well, this is just dripping honey all over the place, right? We have, in fact, found this man a pestilent fellow, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn from him concerning everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge by asserting that all this was true. So did Paul sin or break the law? No, he hasn't, he hasn't done anything wrong. But what's interesting here is the history of Felix. Um... Felix, at one time, I don't know how he became a slave, but he was a slave. And he gained favor. Uh, uh, and he was promoted to governor. He basically uh, did something. Uh, he, he did something that kind of saved Caesar's life. Uh, there was a boating incident, and, and the ship that he was on... I forget all of the details, but they came in the in 
Caesar was on the ship and he was about to be attacked and this other ship came and they put themselves in between and and uh, Felix got up and he was fighting and doing stuff and so he stood out and all of this and so uh, Caesar saw it and granted him his release and also uh, made him governor over this province but he was a very testy guy he had a short fuse he had no problem having you beaten having you incarcerated he, he had no problem it said somebody one of one of the one of the uh, uh, historians said he was a governor but he ruled like a slave he was cutthroat okay so this is maybe again why the Jews now brought this Tertullius guy who's now going to wax eloquent you know and get this Felix guy's favor uh, for what they want uh, and also what's going on here is that the attorney's trying to separate Christianity from Judaism. He's trying to make it sound like this Paul is some kind of cult, cultish guy from, you know, the sect of the Nazarenes. You know, and because uh, again, biblically, Judaism and Christianity is just the out, natural outgrowth of it. It's not a separate entity. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to make it separate building a case for Jews who are saying, he's not part of us, this is not what we do, this is not who we are, he's something out over here. And so that's that's what's going on there. Thoughts, questions? No? Okay, verse 10. When the governor motioned to him to speak, Paul replied. Now here's Paul's defense. I cheerfully make my defense, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation. And as you can find out, it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They did not find me disputing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd, either in the synagogue or throughout the city. Neither can they prove to you the charge that they now bring against me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way, notice the capital, way, because again the church was known as the way, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, which they called a sect. So he, he's now addressing what he said, they're calling it a sect. And then he says, I worship the God of our ancestors. So now Paul is bringing himself back into Judaism, right? I worship the God of our ancestors, believing everything laid down according to the law or written in the prophets. In other words, the Hebrew Bible, the Bible they had, he says, I adhere to it, I believe it, this is who I am. Uh, verse 15, I have a hope in God, a hope that they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, boom, now he starts bringing, bringing the gospel in on this. He's saying, this is what they're really upset about because I'm talking about resurrection and I'm changing their whole theological understanding of end time and what's going to happen. That, you know, there's going to be resurrection of the dead through Jesus Christ. Verse 16, Therefore I do my best always to have a clear conscience towards God and all the people. 
Now, after some years, I came to bring alms to my nation to offer sacrifices. And while I was doing this, they found me in the temple completing the rite of purification. Remember a couple of weeks we were talking about when he first came back to Jerusalem. They told him, don't go to Jerusalem, but he was there. And then they tried to protect him in Jerusalem. And they say, why don't you be with these guys that are taking a Nazarite vow and, and, and do things according to the law and maybe the Jews will leave you alone. And so that's what he was doing. He was worshiping as a, as a, as a, as a Jew would worship. He wasn't denying Christ. He was just doing the things uh, that, that, that uh, a Levitical priesthood would do, that a Pharisee would do, that even a Sadducee would do in the temple. So verse 18 again, while I was doing this, they found me in the temple, completing the rite of purification without any crowd or disturbance. But there were some Jews from Asia. Now again, as I said last week, I think or the week before, this kind of identifies them as perhaps not necessarily believing Jews, because they were from Asia. They're not not that they were Chinese or Japanese. They were from 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 you know uh, you know eastern eastern east of uh, east of east of Israel. Uh, let's see. Was that? Yeah, verse 19. But there were some Jews from Asia. They ought to be here before you to make an accusation if they have anything against me. So in other words, they didn't come. Why? Because they weren't practicing Jews. They weren't part of the Sanhedrin. They weren't part of that ruling council. They were just Jews who didn't like Paul. Well, let these men here tell what crime they found when I stood before the council. And thus it was this one sentence that I called out while standing before before them. It is about the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. So boom, he goes back to the resurrection of the dead. He's, he's making a case here. But, you know, Paul's defense is biblical law. Right? And, and he's, he's not, he's just stating what happened. Uh, this is where I am, this is what was going on, uh, this is it. And, and he's saying, because if you were a Jew before Jesus, scriptures point to the cross, and if you believed based on the scriptures, based on what J Jesus did, said, all whatever it was that got you to believe in, in Christ, you just naturally continue to follow the progression. It's like I think I said Sunday. What was the Bible Jesus read, taught from? Same Bible, the Old Testament. You don't throw that away. That's that's still in effect. It's just the need for all the sacrifices is done away with. But what's now brought into that thing of Judaism is resurrection of the dead. Judgment through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the son of God, because he is God, because he's the only one found worthy enough to do that, and he will return to judge the living and the dead. And so this is just something that's added into, into, into uh, what would then be present-day Judaism, but was God's plan all along. That's just the part of that tree growing out. So Paul's defense is basically biblical law. You know, he's not, he's not straying out outside of that. 
questions? Any comments or questions? Or? Okay. Verse 22. But Felix, who was rather well informed about the way. Ah, Felix knows about Christianity. Okay. Who was rather well informed about the way. Adjourned the hearing with a comment when Lysias, as a tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he ordered the centurion to keep him in custody, but to let him have some liberty and not to prevent him, any of his friends, from taking care of his needs. So he has confined favor. He's not necessarily in jail, uh, but and he said he has favor, let his needs be taken care of, but he doesn't want to cut him loose. Not that he's afraid Paul's going to run off. He's afraid that if he cuts him loose, the Jews are going to kill him. So he's protecting him, in a sense. And he says when the commander comes down, uh, you know, and all this, then I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to pass judgment on this. So Paul's now being in the holding tank. Uh, he has his friends can now come and see him. He can move around. He's probably still in the in the palace, Herod's palace, which is very large. So he had access to that. But at the same time, you know, he's preaching the gospel. You know, he's he's getting people con converted here. Um, so now, verse twenty-four. After some days later, when Felix came down with his wife. Drusilla. Now see, if Drusy would have been here, she would have been excited. <laughs> yeah, but when Felix came down with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him speak concerning faith in Christ Jesus. Let's read it again. Some days later, when Felix came down with his wife, obviously he had went someplace, came back with his wife, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul. And they heard him speak concerning faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, he's given them the gospel. And his wife is hearing it. Right? And as... Okay. And... Uh, verse 25. And as he discussed justice, self-control... And the coming judgment, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present. When I have an opportunity, I will send for you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. For that reason, he used to send for him very often and converse with him. On one hand, he's protecting Paul. On the other, he's thinking Paul might buy him off. But notice how he gets afraid as Paul's preaching to him. So what you have here is fear. If you know Felix's story, not only was he uh, a slave, but Drusilla was his third wife. And he had to do away with his wife in order to marry Drusilla. And he had to do away with Drusilla's husband okay. to marry her. So now it says when Paul is preaching, verse 25, and as he discussed justice, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix became frightened. Okay? He says, go away for the present. 
When I have an opportunity, I will send for you. At the same time, he had hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. For that reason, he used to send for him very often and converse with him. And now we have the thing where he's, Paul, you sure is, is giving him the gospel here. Um, I mean, here's where it ends, verse 27. And after two years had passed. That sucks, man. <laughs> after two years had passed. You know, he's holding out for money for two years. <laughs> after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by uh, Porcius Festus. And since he wanted to grant the Jews a favor... Felix left Paul in prison. Oh, jeez. So Felix, not really being a leader here, he's kind of looking out for himself. He's, he's between a rock and a hard place. Uh, he eventually dies. He's replaced. And he's just, he's just got Paul on ice doing the Jews a favor because they say, okay, if, if Paul's here, he's not really in jail. You know, he, we're, we're, not, we're not harming him. But two years pass while he's there. And uh, uh, so, that's why, what's Paul doing? He's getting ready to go to Rome and stuff. But Paul's also in the process, he's getting correspondence and stuff. So pretty soon he's going to be writing uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, First Timothy, and Titus, and Second. You know, so he's getting you know stuff going on here. So where we're at right here, two years, year fifty-seven, fifty-nine, Caesarea, prisoner, Acts twenty-four to twenty-six. And next year we're going to pick up the story there. After two years, we're going to. So it'll be a week for us. It'll be two years for Paul. Okay. So next week we're going to pick up. The journey to Rome and what happens to Paul on his journey to Rome. So again, when you read scripture, sometimes you don't get an appreciation for the time frame. Two years, I mean, right there, just one little thing. It's just two years go by. And uh, uh, so, thoughts, questions, comments. But Paul, for him, you know, he's Got to be kind of optimistic. Because God told him he was going to go to Rome. Uh, that's where he wants to go. For two reasons. He wants to bring the gospel to Rome. And he also wants to plead his case. So he can freely go back doing what he, he wants to do. But the church is subject to the political climate. And this is, this is, this is what... what uh, uh, the church has to has always had to overcome. When you look at the history of the church, the church in, in political climate have have always done this. There's times when it's been a good relationship, and but there's times where it's been rocky, bumping heads. There's time when the church has had the upper hand. There's time when the church has been had no no say whatsoever. Uh, and so he's. He's sitting there waiting it out for two years because of the political climate and because of what's going on. And uh, he's, he's, he's got to wait that out. He, he doesn't really have any other recourse. 
at this point. And so uh, he's able to see his friends. He's able to send messages out. He's able to do that. Uh, but he's getting ready. And so think about it when we do. Uh, I might do a little over oversight of these messages uh, here. But think about when he's writing these. You know, he's been on, he's been on, on ice for a couple of years. You know, he's been hearing things about churches that he, he met in his first missionary or second or third missionary journey or churches he spent 18 months with or three years with in Ephesus, in Ephesus and stuff like that. So, uh, uh, interesting, interesting time with Paul. Thoughts, questions? So, in Acts, we probably have two more weeks and that will take us to Thanksgiving break, and then normally I kind of go dark through through December, but this year um, I'm not. Uh, so for maybe the first three weeks, four weeks in in December, uh, I'm going to do a few different things, a few topical things around some of this stuff, and we'll talk about that later, and then probably take off the last two weeks right there with Christmas and New Year's, and then. Beginning in um, January, we'll start with uh, with uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, you know, which is uh, which is a good one, which he's he wrote right before all this stuff happened. So he's writing to the Romans now, thinking and hoping that he was gonna now go to Jerusalem, drop off the money, and do what he was gonna do, and then now take that journey. But he's waylaid in here before he can actually get to go see him. But he wrote Romans with the anticipation that he was going to go visit them. So this is my introduction. So when we're reading Romans, it's Paul's introduction to Christianity, and I'm coming, and I'm now going to lead you through this. So that was his his hope in all of that. And that's why Rome was so important. But, but, but Paul is the one who brings the word to, to Rome. Oh, yeah. So we're good? Mm -hmm. Close. Okay. Let's close in prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the men and women of the Bible, Lord. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, Lord, for what he shows us, Lord, for his theological strength and his willingness, Lord, to, to serve you. His willingness to see where he was wrong, his willingness to repent, and his willingness uh, to be saved, but Lord, also his willingness uh, to be a vessel for you, or as you said to him, that he would be an instrument uh, that you would use. And so, Lord, we thank you for his story, his words, his uh, uh his letters to the church, Lord, that uh, help us define what the church is, help us to remember what the church should be. But they also encourage us individually, Lord, and strengthen us, Lord, for so much wisdom in Paul's letters uh, as they're given to him via the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we just thank you for this time. And as we leave this sanctuary, but not your presence, Lord, we thank you that you continue to guide us, strengthen us, heal us, watch over us encourage us, get us through difficult times that we're facing right now. Lord, 
You're our hope and our trust in all of this. And we just give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you all Sunday of next week.